Welcome to Bite at a Time Books Behind the Story, where we answer the questions you have about your favorite classic authors. What inspired your favorite author to write their novels? What was going on in the world at the time? Follow along with us as we tell you what was happening in the world while your favorite authors wrote your favorite classics. My name is Bree Carlisle, and I love to read and wanted to share my passion with listeners like you. If you want to know what's coming next and vote on upcoming books, sign up for our newsletter at biteatatimebooks.com. Be sure to follow my show on your favorite podcast platform so you get all the new episodes. You can find most of our links in the show notes, but also our website, biteatatimebooks.com, includes all of the links for our show, including to our Patreon to support the show and YouTube, where we have special behind the narration of the episodes. We're part of the Bite at a Time Books Productions Network. If you'd also like to hear a book by the author, check out the Bite at a Time Books podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Today we'll be talking about Jules Verne's English translations. Translation of Verne into English began in 1852, when Verne's short story, A Voyage in a Balloon, 1851, was published in the American Journal, Sartain's Union Magazine of Literature and Art, in a translation by Anne T. Wilbur. Translation of his novels began in 1869 with William Lackland's translation of Five Weeks in a Balloon, originally published in 1863, and continued steadily throughout Verne's lifetime, with publishers and hired translators often working in great haste to rush his most lucrative titles into English-language print. Unlike Hetzel, who targeted all ages with his publishing strategies for The Voyage's Extraordinaires, the British and American publishers of Verne chose to market his books almost exclusively to young audiences. This business move, with its implication that Verne could be treated purely as a children's author, had a long-lasting effect on Verne's reputation in English-speaking countries. These early English-language translations have been widely criticized for their extensive textual omissions, errors, and alterations, and are not considered adequate representations of Verne's actual novels. In an essay for The Guardian, British writer Adam Roberts commented, I'd always liked reading Jules Verne, and I've read most of his novels. But it wasn't until recently that I really understood I hadn't been reading Jules Verne at all. It's a bizarre situation for a world-famous writer to be in. Indeed, I can't think of a major writer who's been so poorly served by translation. Similarly, the American novelist Michael Crichton observed, Verne's prose is lean and fast-moving in a peculiarly modern way. But Verne has been particularly ill-served by his English translators. At best, they've provided us with clunky, choppy, tone-deaf prose. At worst, as in the notorious 1872 translation of Journey to the Center of the Earth, published by Griffin and Farin, they have blithely altered the text, giving Verne's characters new names, and adding whole pages of their own invention thus effectively obliterating the meaning and tone of Verne's original. Since 1965, a considerable number of more accurate English translations of Verne have appeared. However, the older, deficient translations continue to be republished due to their public domain status, and in many cases, their easy availability in online sources. Thank you for joining Byte at a Time Books behind the story today. While we answered some of the questions you have about one of your favorite classic authors— Again, my name is Bree Carlisle, and I hope you join us next time when we answer more questions about one of your favorite classic authors. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at biteatatimebooks.com. 
Check out the show notes or our website, biteatatimebooks.com, for the links for our show.